Suzanne Legrand, and this is Disobedient Femmes. Today I'm talking with Sophie Traeger, teacher, coach, facilitator, and radical pleasurist. Welcome. Thank you. So happy to be here. So radical pleasurist, what an idea. This is an idea that you created. Could you tell us what is a radical pleasurist? Absolutely. I love, excuse me, I love playing with words. And the first words that came to me a few years ago was radical pleasure. And I've always been some kind of rebel, maverick, unconventional, non-mainstream stir of things. And so the word radical is just getting really trendy. And I'm always thinking about pleasure (laughs) and joy and happiness and how to increase more of that in our lives. And so I just made up Radical Pleasurist as somebody who is devoted to experiencing radical pleasure in their life at every moment. Why is pleasure important for us to experience? I mean, a lot of people would say, well, you know, we have a lot of problems in the world that we need to fight for or resist. Why focus on pleasure? That's a really good question. (laughs) I have noticed and being an activist myself uh, in many different ways is I lived my life in a way that was filled with depression and anxiety and forcing, and that didn't feel good. It literally didn't feel good in my body, didn't feel good in my mind. And so I decided what would it be like if I made choices in a different way, if I chose to view the world through a completely different lens. Yes, there's a lot going on out there. I don't deny that. I just offer to people and to myself different options on the menu. Uh, And also, I really like redefining or helping people remember what something means. And for most people, pleasure is very triggering. Intimacy is very triggering. Uh, People automatically think about sexual things. And and I'm here to say that it's about pleasure, which to me is synonymous with joy and ease and peace. And I just feel better when I am making choices that's leading me to what feels good. And what's awesome, Suzanne, is that it ends up benefiting everybody else. It's kind of a crazy thing. How did you come up with this notion of radical pleasure? Could you tell us a little bit about your journey? Because I don't think that's where you you started, right? No. Like I said, I lived pretty much, I would say, 38 years of my life. I just turned 41. (laughs) Um, Looking through a very dark lens. I had very dark glasses on, so I would see the world and expect uh, hatred. I would expect to be treated poorly. I expected to be taken advantage of. Um, I lived with a lot of anxiety and paranoia. I always expected people to let me down. And with (laughs) 
with great suffering, there comes a point where I just, I dropped down on my knees and I said, I don't want to live this way anymore. Uh, and I also, I had a long career, career as a psychotherapist. So I would hear about problems day in and day out. And what I noticed that helped people the most was when I asked them to tell a different story about themselves. The story that included how resilient they are, that included all the exceptions to the darkness that they were experiencing in their life. And so I started to look at myself the same way. Where in my life was their love? Where in my life was their joy? And guess what? When you focus on love and joy and pleasure, you start to see more of it. And it starts to feel good. And so again, with radical pleasure, it was just playing with words. And I get nerdy about words because language and words shape our reality. So instead of hearing the story in my own head of how, how much I suck, and this is the story that everybody hears and believes and thinks is normal, I decided that I was going to tell myself a different story. And with radical pleasure, I literally looked up the definition of radical <laughs> and pleasure and put them together to create, and this is on my website, to create the meaning of radical pleasure, which is a far-reaching and expansive experience and feeling of happiness and joy. Who doesn't, who doesn't want that? <laughs> Absolutely. The question, of course, is how you get there. Yes. Exactly. In your work, you talk a lot about people pleasing. And people pleasing <laughs> is kind of the opposite end of radical pleasure. Yes. Could you talk about why that is? And, and also just what you think of as people pleasing? Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, our, our tagline is from pleaser to pleasure. Again, that, you know, play on words. When I looked at my life, and I noticed why the same things kept happening, why I was in the same kinds of relationships, why it, why I had so much fear, I noticed that I was people-pleasing, meaning I was doing whatever it took to get people to like me because all my life I wanted to feel that I belonged. I wanted community. And the way that I learned that was what I thought was uh, to deny my own desires, my own needs, um, never rock the boat, <laughs> don't ruffle feathers, things like that, like stay quiet, uh, because I'm not a quiet person. <laughs> but I was taught to be, to stay quiet um, and not to show emotions. That is how... I and many, many people survive. We learn to be people pleasers um, because we form in our minds what we think others want of us. So we start to do that. We start to speak in a certain way. We start to act in a certain way um, that we think is going to get us love, that we think is going to get us connection or whatever it is we want uh, to, and it has a very high cost. What's the cost? 
for me was the the ironic thing. It was a deep sense of uh, loneliness because I completely forgot and didn't know what it was to be myself. I had no idea what I liked or needed or desired. Um, and I was actually really afraid of people and did not experience true intimacy, uh, deep connection with people because either I was people pleasing or I was being an ice queen, which is putting up a wall where nobody can come through and I wouldn't let myself out. Uh, so I felt extremely lonely, um, extremely depressed. Um, yeah, that was the, that was the cost. <laughs> now, men can be people pleasers as well as women, but it seems that there is a connection between the way in which women are raised and the tendency for women to be people pleasers. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about how gender training for women tends to create people pleasers? Absolutely. And I also, along with that, would like to make a point that my male clients experience the same exact thing. They also experience being people pleasers. It just might look differently. Uh, but <laughs> the, uh, the detriment is the same for both both sexes. Uh, for women, um, the way that, well, what's really interesting is that I was raised actually to be pretty masculine um, in the sense of suppressing my feelings, my creativity, my connection to my body, uh, my intuition. And so I was raised in a way, in a culture, in a family where the greatest importance was placed on doing and achieving and accomplishing and being really educated, um, which means that, again, I suppressed my own creativity and desires to be a people pleaser. Um, I was raised to be seen and not heard. <laughs> I was raised to be very nice and polite um, and to listen to people even when I didn't want to or to take care of people even if I didn't want to. Um, so I suppose that that is um, what is expected of women, what I was taught to be expected of women. And I watched my mom, a very um, high executive engineer, professional woman, go between these these worlds of highly um, male-dominated field, but also being at home, caretaking, cooking, cleaning, taking care of everyone. So there was, I mean, it felt really schizophrenic to me. There was all these mixed messages of be really independent and also be a good wife. Some people use the term emotional labor. And I think Arlie Hochschild has talked about the second shift. Oh, yeah that women are supposed to work a full day and then go home and do emotional labor, yes. house cleaning, et cetera, at home as well. Yes. Yes, that is probably one of the, I believe, the more subtle ways that people are people pleasers um, in the way that 
we're expected to listen and hold space for people and allow others to dump their emotional whatever baggage on us and we don't have anything to say about it. Uh, For example, (laughs) I've been told and I've heard this by many people that I'm not a good girlfriend, I'm not a good partner if I don't listen, if I don't soothe the other person and I decided that's BS and I'm not going to do that anymore unless, um, one, I'm asked if I'm available and have the capacity to listen and two, I have a time limit. (laughs) I have a limit to how much I can give um, to someone and I I want to be honored when I say, you know, I've reached my capacity to listen right now. I And I'm not here to do that for you. I'm here to love and to support, but it's not always going to happen. So there's a lot of nuances to communication. You were talking about the how before. One of the big hows is communication, effective communication. And also it sounds like recognizing your limits and being willing to stand up for them in some ways. 100%. Absolutely. That is really everything that Radical Pleasurist does and teaches is one, can you get to know again where you end and somebody else begins? So there's that work on boundaries uh, and even allowing yourself to have boundaries, allowing yourself to have desires and needs And releasing that belief, oh, if I have needs, I'm needy. I mean, there's so much to this. Um, So recognizing that you have boundaries, that you have a certain way that you want to live and that it's okay. It's absolutely okay. And then speaking those boundaries out loud. So a lot of the work you do is training people to communicate differently, but also to recognize and to perceive their own needs. Yes, exactly. And for those that come to me and that I work with, it's the first time in their life that someone has said to them and given them permission to have needs and desires. So when I ask the question, what do you need? People are stumped. (laughs) I, I, I help them and encourage them to think about their needs and to write them out exhaustively. You mentioned three things that seem to me to be connected to pleasure and maybe to moving away from people-pleasing. You mentioned creativity, intuition, and embodiment. Yes. Could you talk about how those are connected to Pleasure on one hand, and also it seems also to self-empowerment. Yes. Okay, so you mentioned intuition, embodiment, and... Creativity. Creativity, yes. (laughs) They are inextricably connected. It begins with embodiment. All the practices that we teach, we begin with the body, Why is that? (laughs) Well, we're quite familiar with the experience of living in our heads, with the experience of using 
very skillfully our analytical brain, that part of us, what, <clears throat> what we are not as well versed in and connected with is the part of our brain that um, tells us to focus on sensations, sensations in our body. Um, that is very, very foreign for people. And my deep experience and the experience of everyone I talk to and um, work with is once they get into their bodies and I, there's a lot to explain to that, but once you can get into your body where you're feeling your sensations and you're allowing emotions to come up to your awareness and you have you gain a, an expanded vocabulary for what you're feeling, then you can be connected to whatever creativity is moving through you. Because it's usually not... Um, It doesn't usually start with a thought. It starts with an experience, a feeling in the body uh, that becomes an inspired thought. So there's the creativity and the embodiment piece. And then the intuition is, to me, the same thing as creativity. It is connecting with something that nobody can really explain. Uh, but it's a very powerful decision maker and more accurate then I believe the analytical mind. I believe the analytical mind is what gains inspiration from our intuitive, our intuitive selves and how it leads to pleasure. <laughs> when we follow our intu intuition, when we receive inspired um, ideas or thoughts, that usually leads to a pleasurable experience. Not to say it's not hard, not to say there isn't a process, but it leads to our joy, our bliss, that experience of feeling passionate where time doesn't exist. That's the pleasure that comes from embodiment, creativity, and intuition. You talk about varieties of pleasure part of being a radical pleasurist is not you you do talk about sexual pleasure which is where everybody tends to go mm -hmm. but you also talk about creating or or making possible pleasure in all ways can you talk about what some of those other ways are oh yes i love talking about this i actually it's more along the lines of different types of intimacies that people have no idea exist, that they don't know that these are options on the menu. This is huge. Uh, this has knowing that there's different kinds of intimacies, that there's different ways of connecting and, and receiving and experiencing pleasure is a, was a game changer for me. It went, I went from being extremely lonely <laughs> to feeling extremely fulfilled in my life, which is right now. And the different intimacies are there's the sexual intimacy, which is what we usually think of when we think of as intimacy is the sexual act or conversation or fantasy. And that's one part of it. Then there's physical intimacy. And that is one of my favorites. And most people will understand that through anyone who's familiar with the love languages, uh, touch being one of the love languages that's my primary as well as words of affirmation 
Uh, so physical intimacy is the experience of feeling connected through touch, platonic touch that is not sexual. That blows people's minds. They're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. How How is that possible? Like maybe with my kids, I get it, or with uh, a massage therapist or with my pets, but with a partner, a spouse, a friend, you know, nobody's cuddling anymore. Nobody's snuggling anymore. It's It's fraught. And so I'm saying that's on the menu, my friends, get back into physical intimacy. And that is, that has been extremely healing for me, it just it rewired my entire nervous system. Uh, there's emotional intimacy, which is uh, sharing deep feelings with each other. Thank you, Brene Brown, for introducing us to the power of vulnerability. That's where emotional intimacy comes in. Then there's spiritual intimacy, sharing of our beliefs so much. We're afraid to share what we really believe in. We're afraid to talk about God. We're afraid to talk about source. We're afraid to talk about what drives us. That's spiritual intimacy, meditating together, being in sangha community together. And then there's intellectual intimacy, that one most people are familiar with. And yet it's still challenging for people to share vulnerably our ideas our um, intellectual property with each other. So those are just five that I've been talking about teaching for years. There's so many uh, financial intimacy. I mean, there's so many ways to connect vulnerably. So you teach people how to be emotionally intelligent and intimate. That's, that's part of the work that you do. Yes. Can you just describe a little bit more about how you get people to be emotionally intelligent, intimate, and also to be able to recognize these other forms of intimacy that you're talking about? Well, number number one is a willingness. I've talked to a lot of people who have said, I, I don't want to feel. And if you don't want to feel, then you're, you're not going to be a radical pleasurist. <laughs> you're, you're cutting yourself off from a lot of options for pleasure in your life. Uh, so there's no way around this. You have to feel, and you have to feel everything, not just the so-called good feelings, but everything. Once, so the way that we teach this, I, um, I'm also a certified yoga teacher. I'm into somatic experience. There's no way around being in the body. There just isn't. How do you get in the body? Well, we have this really amazing tool called the breath. <laughs> and so I, I teach breath work. That's one tool that I use. Um, I teach, I use yoga. I have a lot of methods, but the umbrella for all of this is can you slow down and pause? That's number one, because we don't do that either. Can you slow down and pause for just a moment and experience what you're feeling in your body in the moment? That's it. Like, what do you feel in your chest? What do you feel in your throat? What do you feel in your fingers? That's it. That is already foreign to people, just to slow down. And what do you feel right now in this moment? And then we expand that. Do you think that 
were people to experience more pleasure in their lives and also more intimacy? And you, you see a connection between experiencing pleasure and also connecting to other people. If people were able to do that, do you think that would create a larger change in society? <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is a paradigm shift. This is a completely different way of looking at yourself your, and others in the world. It's, it's, there's two different programs operating in our lives. There's the fear program and there's the love program. Fear is the anxiety, the depression and war and all that stuff. And the love is the pleasure and the joy and peace and ease, uh, which everybody says they want. Um, but they resist a lot because the fear program is very, very powerful. And it's a choice. So a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I have a lot of pleasure in my life. Like I have friends and I go out and I drink and I do this and I, you know, I have the cars and I have the house and, and uh, I play the games and I do the things and I travel. I have a lot of pleasure in my life. Great. How are you feeling? How are you feeling in your life? Depressed? Okay. You feeling lonely? Okay. It's a choice. It's a moment to moment choice. And so in each moment, what do you want to choose? Do you want to choose to experience joy no matter what's going on and I'm not I'm not sugarcoating like you know life is fluffy and peachy and awesome all the time no matter what is going on what are you going to choose if you choose to see joy and pleasure and blessing in that moment yeah everything changes from then on everything the rela your relationships the way you see people completely changes the way you talk to people completely changes and this is a per this is personal truth like I know this <laughs> I am I've, I've experienced this I've witnessed people experiencing this and if more people were to do this what would the world look like I mean do you have any sense and this is this is everything that we all dream of what I, what I see is we would stop and be curious about each other. We would stop and take a moment to look into each other's eyes and maybe ask more questions. <laughs> um, we would always go back inward into our bodies and feel instead of try to make others make us feel anything, which is just not the case. Nobody makes us feel anything. Um, we're just, we're all a reflection of each other. So if that's the case, why don't we just see love through each other? <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, the possibilities are endless. Like we were just we would just be enjoying life and the gorgeous world that this is, the gorgeous nature. Like, we're, we're lucky we live in Portland. It's stunning here. Great. Well, thank you so much. I have been talking today to Sophia Traeger, who is a radical pleasurist.
Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And if you all want to learn more, head over to RadicalPleasurist.com. Great. I am Suzanne Legrand, and this is Disobedient Femmes. Get up, get up. Mm-hmm.